Welcome to Kevin Condor's podcast. This series is on the Tabernacle of David, based on Kevin's best-selling book by the same title. It's available in paperback and e-back formats from Amazon in your area, or as an immediate PDF download from the shop at kevinconnor.org. Finally, the ongoing impact of Kevin's ministry is only possible because of the generosity of friends and supporters like you. Why not consider making a donation today at kevinconnor.org forward slash donate. Thanks very much. Well, I'd like you to turn your Bibles again this morning to Acts chapter 15, and then we're going to go over to Isaiah to the scripture we've just been singing. Acts chapter 15. Now, for those of you who are not able to be here last Sunday morning, we've started a series together in the next number of weeks uh, entitled on the Tabernacle of David. And uh, we started last Sunday morning with our first of our series, and we're continuing this morning. All right, Acts chapter 15, I'd just like to uh, read two or three verses here and just put the words back into your mind again as we continue this morning. Acts 15, and we'll pick up from verse 13 through to 17. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. After this I will return and build again the tabernacle of who? Not the tabernacle of Moses. Not even the temple of Solomon. But I will build again the tabernacle of David which is fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof and I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, says the Lord, who doeth all these things. Let us, let's turn over to Isaiah chapter 2, the passage of scripture we've just been uh, singing from. Isaiah chapter 2. And uh, we'll pick up in verses 1 through to 5. Isaiah chapter 2 and verses 1 through to 5. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come here, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. House of Jacob, come ye, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. I'd like you to go over to the a corresponding passage uh, which is so often overlooked in Micah, Micah the prophet Micah, Micah chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2 where we have the same prophetic word uh, repeated here. Micah chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2 which repeats the same uh, prophetic word basically. But in the last days, or the latter days, the last days it shall come to pass 
that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now let me just take a very brief moment to review what we covered uh, last week. And I do want to encourage you that if you were not able to be here last week, that you pick up the tape uh, which was laying a foundation uh, for the first of our, on the, uh, for the beginning of our series on the Tabernacle of David, because uh, we cannot take the time each week to go through review of everything that was covered the week before. So uh, get, get the tape uh, afterwards from the tape room there. Now as we were looking last week in Acts chapter 15 particularly, we saw how God had been uh, moving by His Spirit and the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Jew in Acts chapter 2 and then the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10 and 11. And the problem was in the early church, what are we going to do with the Gentiles? Will we make the Gentiles Jews or do the Jews have to become like the Gentiles or what? And we saw the great danger last week was that there could have come in the early church the greatest division that, uh, that would never have been healed had not somebody come in with a word of wisdom. So there was the tendency to have a Jewish church and a Gentile church. And uh, when the brethren got together at Jerusalem for the council with the uh, council of the apostles and elders, they discussed the whole matter. And as we saw last week, we found that uh, the problem was over circumcision, keeping of Sabbath days, certain ritualisms of the law of Moses, and trying to make the Gentiles come under the law of Moses and say that they could not be saved unless they accepted Moses in one hand and Jesus in the other. The whole issue was over how to be saved. And as the brethren got together, we uh, went together carefully over Peter's testimony, how the Lord Jesus appeared to him and gave him a trance and sent him down to the house of Cornelius. And while he's uh, speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles as they believed and heard the word. And then we saw how Paul and Barnabas, they gave their experience after being sent out from the church in Antioch and uh, of the churches that they had established in the various uh, cities of the Gentiles. Then finally, James, uh, gave, he stood up and he gave what I believe was a word of wisdom. And he quoted from the prophet Amos that this is what the prophet Amos said. Now it's very significant that on the day of Pentecost, Peter quoted from the prophet Joel, a minor prophet as he referred to. But when it came to the Gentiles coming into the church, uh, James, he quoted not from Joel, but he quoted from the prophet Amos. And he quoted the prophecy, he said, this is what the Lord spoke to the prophet Amos, that uh, he would build again the tabernacle of David. Now, not the tabernacle of Moses, not the temple of Solomon, but the tabernacle of David. And that the Gentiles and all the remnant of the people and the Gentiles who would be called by his name would come into the tabernacle of David. Now, as we mentioned last Sunday, uh, in the New Testament, there were only two particular things that the Lord Jesus said he would build, or else these two things are one. And we believe these two things are one. Matthew chapter 16, the Lord Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build what? I will build, let's all say together, my church. And in Acts chapter 15, he said, I will build again, what? The tabernacle of David that is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, 
Uh, what for? That the Gentiles might come into that. Now is the Lord building the church or is he building the tabernacle of David or are they one and the same thing? As we're going to see together, the Lord is building the church but that which was established in the tabernacle of David is going to be now brought into the church. And so Jews and Gentiles would come not into the tabernacle of Moses and we refer to that later but into the tabernacle of David uh, and all that's involved in the symbolism. Now, as I uh, mentioned, I had never ever heard of the tabernacle of David years ago. I'd had a lot of teaching on the tabernacle of Moses and uh, had heard of the temple of Solomon and had no teaching on the tabernacle of David. And we had a show of hands last week of those who had never really heard of the tabernacle of David and had no teaching. And there was quite a number of people there. Now, without going too much into our review here, as Peter went on, he showed that there was no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is no respect of persons with God. There is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, but the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Can we say amen? So if God makes no difference between Jew and Gentile, why should we? Why do we do today? Why do churches do that today? So there's one way for the Gentiles to be saved and one way for the Jew to be saved. No, there's only one way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so as we brought our message to a close last Sunday, and we didn't uh, finish it quite, but uh, we saw that Jew and Gentiles were saved by grace through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say amen? And that it's through grace we are saved. We cannot save ourselves. God is the only one who can save us. And how many realize this morning that God is under no obligation to save anybody? So it's a very humbling thing that God is not obligated to save any of us. So when people say to me, oh, well, I'll get saved when I want to, I say, well, listen here, God is not obligated to save you anytime. He's not obligated to save me or any of us. And it's just the mercy of God. In fact, Paul puts it this way, God, it's according to his mercy he saves us. So I thank God for his mercy this morning. Every one of us are here this morning by the mercy and grace of God. Amen. So we are saved by grace. And uh, he's told us how we are to be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to look at the scripture in Isaiah chapter 2. If, you, if you've closed it, just let's turn to it again. Isaiah chapter 2. I repeat this uh, periodically, but I believe we continually need to remind ourselves one of the great dangers is in a church like this of singing songs and enjoying the tune and the melody and we don't even understand the words we're singing about. We don't know what the words are talking about. If I was an outsider and uh, came into the meeting and I heard you singing, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, what would you say? Well, we're going to go mountain climbing today. Are you talking about a literal mountain or Mount Donabawang? Or what? You know, what are we, you know, as an outside, come on, let's go to the mountain of the Lord. Well, these guys must be mountain climbers in this church. And to the house of our God. What, what do you mean by the house of our God? What does the mountain mean? Anybody know what the mountain of the Lord is? What are we talking about? What are we singing about? And to the house of our God. Is this the house of God or is this a sheep shed? You know? 
Who said both? Shake your hands. Give her a kiss, Joyce. Okay. And the Lord, the, uh, he will teach us of his ways. We'll walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth from Zion. What Zion is that talking about? How many are in the Zionist movement here this morning? How many are in the Zionist movement? Ah, uh, well, that's, that's what I was after. Which one? How many are in the heavenly Zionist movement? <laughs> okay, just gonna. Is anybody in the Zionist movement over here? The heavenly one? Hands up. Come on, Peter. Up, up, up there. No, there's, no, there's. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. What Jerusalem? Do we need to go over to Jerusalem for a misguided tour? What, what are you singing about? Do you know what you're singing about? Do you know what you're singing about, Mike? Sometimes. <laughs> you are so honest, Mike. I hope that uh, by the time we're through with our session this morning that we'll understand more clearly what we sing about. Amen? Okay, now let's go through Isaiah chapter 2 and uh, we're particularly going to look at verses 2 and 3 and uh, just pray that the Holy Spirit will enlarge our, our understanding. Now in verse 1 we're told that the word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So here the prophet Isaiah and we find that Isaiah and Micah were actually contemporary prophets. We read what Isaiah said, we read what uh, Micah said. And I don't have too much time for the uh, commentaries to say, well Micah stole the words from Isaiah and Isaiah stole them from Mike. I don't have any time for that business. How many believe both those prophets, the major and the minor, we're inspired by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they both prophesied the same word. Uh, so that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word, be, would, every word would be established. Now, you'll notice in verse 2, it says, it shall come to pass in the last days. The last days. That's the first thing I want to look at this morning. Now, as we go back to the prophets, and we're going to have to look at some of the Old Testament history and some of the Old Testament prophets, particularly in order to understand what is meant by the tabernacle of David. Okay, the Gentiles with the Jews are going to come into the tabernacle of David and not the tabernacle of Moses. So we need to be thinking about what do we mean by those things. All right, so here are the prophets. Uh, when the word of the Lord comes to them and the prophetic spirit comes upon them, I believe they are caught up in what we refer to as the prophetic perspective. Let me explain what I mean that. They, when they're in this prophetic perspective, they see things from God's viewpoint. They're, God is eternal. God has an unlimited frame of reference. Uh, we are so small-minded and we are so finite and we're bound to time. And it's like, I use the illustration, it's like if we were seeing a, a procession and we were just trying to see the procession through a hole in the fence and we're looking through this hole in the fence and we see, oh, there's Richard Holland. Uh, He's coming in, he's rolls Canardly. It rolls down the hill and Canardly get up. Uh, and there's Gary Holland. She's riding on her push bike and somebody's pushing her uphill. You know, and we have a very limited frame of reference because all we see through is through the hole in the fence and we don't see much. Our, our, our frame of reference is so small, so limited and we, we just see things a little bit here and, we, and then we say, oh well that procession's gone past there and we see, oh what's coming now? And oh there's something coming up there. But how many knows that God sees over the fence? See? God sees over the fence. He's the eternal. He's the I am. 
So he sees everything that's happened in the past, what's happening in the present, what's happening in the future. In fact, uh, past, present and future is just one, all, all one eternal present to him. And I'm glad for that. So he has an infinite far, a frame of reference. He's not small-minded like we are. God's unlimited and infinite in his frame of reference. So everything that has been, everything that is, and everything that's yet to come, God's got it all before him because he's uh, omnipresent. So when the prophets are caught up in what I said, this prophetic perspective, they're seeing things from the eternal's viewpoint. And they're not bound by time. But they're seeing things in the past, in the present, and in the future. And here Isaiah, first thing he says in this prophetic word, it shall come to pass in the last days, the last days, the latter days, the latter times, the last days. Isaiah, what are you talking about? What do you mean by the last days? Let me give you two or three scriptures on this. Uh, I'd like you to turn over to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. And verse 4. Psalm 90 and verse 4. And by the way, at the top of the psalm, who is this psalm uh, written by? So all say it together. That's significant right there. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. And so in verse 4 he says, or verse 2 we'll pick up, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, even from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. From everlasting to everlasting, God's the eternal. He's not bound by time, nor limited by time. Uh, man is. God's not bound by a seeker watch. Verse 4, For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Second Peter chapter 3, look what Peter does with this. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 8. Peter goes right back to the Psalm of Moses from Psalm 90 and verse 4, and in writing to spirit-filled believers, listen to what Peter says. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 4. But beloved... Be not ignorant of this one thing. Ignorant of what? Now he's writing to spirit-filled believers. And how many believers, let alone spirit-filled believers, are ignorant of this one thing? All right, Peter, what don't you want us to be ignorant of? But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. Now one day with man is 24 hours. But one day with the Lord is a thousand, as is a thousand years, is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of it. All right? A thousand years. So Peter is going back to Moses and taking the prophecy right out of Moses' mouth and saying, Brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant of this thing, that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Job 24 and verse 1 gives us very... Interesting question here, Job 24, when Job is on the ash heap, scraping his boils, and his wife's telling him to curse God and die, and he's got a lot of friends who know everything about nothing. Job asks a very interesting question, Job 24 and verse 1. Puts it in the question form. Now what we're looking at here is we're trying to discover together what Isaiah meant when he said in the last days, the mountain of the Lord said, what do you mean by the last days? All right, Job 24 and verse 1. Listen to the question. 
Why, seeing times are not hidden from the Almighty, do they that know him not see his days? What do you mean by his days? Why, seeing times are not hidden from the Almighty, do they that know him not see his days? Beloved, I don't want you to be ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So why seeing times are not hidden from the Almighty, do they that know him, do you know him this morning? Do they that know him not see his days? So we're looking at his days. It shall come to pass in the last days. Remember when God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, as it was Mr. and Mrs. Adam before the fall, and God said to Adam and his wife Eve, you can eat of every tree in the Garden of Eden. The only tree you're not to eat of is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And with that one commandment, not ten, though the ten were in the one, with that one commandment he gave a penalty, a death penalty, a warning, as we saw a number of weeks back. In the day you eat thereof, you'll surely die. Now it's God talking, so eat of every tree of the garden, but don't eat of the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil for in the day. What day? Now how many believe that when Adam sinned in the 24-hour day that he died in the 24-hour day? Hands up. How many believe that Adam died in a thousand-year day? Hands up. How many are frightened of getting caught? Hands up. The answer is yes and no. Adam died spiritually in the 24-hour day he sinned. God said, in the day you eat thereof, you'll surely die, or the uh, marginal reference has, in dying, you shall die. In other words, in dying spiritually, you will die physically. So Adam died spiritually in the 24-hour day he sinned. But how long did Adam live? Anybody know? 930 years. How many would like to live that long? Who said, no, thank you? I would. I think of all the things I could get done that I never have time for. Right? I, my wife would like me to live that long because of all the jobs she's got on her hope chest for me to do. Right? Yesterday I went out and I bought some flowers for my wife, beautiful carnations, and brought them home and said, do you like them, darling? She said, yes, gave me a kiss and a hug. But then I said, they were very expensive. She said, oh, you just messed it all up, you know. <laughs> But they're beautiful. I never did buy flowers for my wife because I always felt you buy them, they drop dead the next day. But the first time I ever bought a bunch of flowers for my wife, she cried. Didn't you, darling? So I've been buying flowers ever since, cauliflowers and all sorts, you know. Listen. Anyway, that's, enough, that's sort of Garden of Eden stuff there, anyway. So Adam died spiritually in the day he sinned, and the day you sin, you'll surely die. But he lived 930 years. And what does that leave off a thousand? Do you know how many years we're promised in that Psalm 90? 70. Doesn't Adam mean? He took the 930 and left us the 70. <laughs> now what do we say? What does the scripture say? I don't want you to be ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years. So when God said, in the day you sin, you'll surely die, Adam died within the day. No man has ever lived a day. 
No man has ever lived a thousand years. I'm looking forward to that in my millennium. You're very quiet. Are you breathing out there this morning? Are you thinking? Okay, in the last days. What's he talking about? All right, so don't want you to be ignorant. And of course we have a beautiful picture in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. And there are many, many illustrations, but I want you to get the point here. What we're talking about, when the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established in the top of the mountains. Exodus chapter 12, and uh, let's pick up in verse 3. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household, household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And listen to verse 6. And ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Now, as I often in reading the Old Testament, I say, Lord, why did you tell the children of Israel to do that? Now come with me as we're thinking about this, the last days. What's God talking about? through the prophet here, okay? Go back to the nation of Israel. There came the time when God said, uh, as Moses preached the gospel, and this was the song of Moses and the Lamb to them, the song of Moses and the Lamb, the Passover Lamb. We don't sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. We sing the song of Jesus who is the Lamb. Amen? So now can you imagine the household, the head of the household, going to the flock, and as he checks out the lamb to see that it's a male, it's without spot and blemish or wrinkle, any such thing, it's a perfect lamb. And he takes that lamb and sets it aside on the tenth day. And he is to take that lamb and keep it for four days, from the tenth to the fourteenth. Four days that lamb was ordained to die. Four days that lamb was hidden, ordained to die. And then after four days... They take the lamb and they kill the lamb. They sprinkle the blood, as we've mentioned before, on the two side posts, the two lintels, the two side posts and the lintel, a triune application of blood, may we say in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, for spirit, soul and body, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, a triune application of one blood, as they exalted the blood as we are singing about this morning. The blood will never lose its power. Thank you, Jesus, for the Lamb of God, who is the Lamb of God. Amen. Wondered. I wonder why God told us to take this lamb and keep it for four days. Why did he tell us to take the lamb on the tenth day and kill it four days later in the evening, the fourteenth day? Four days the lamb was hidden. Why did God tell us to do that? I wonder if any Israelite ever thought about it and asked the question. Well, how many know that God is working to a plan in redemption? Let me tell you the answer, because Peter takes it up again. Peter is the one. He says, Jesus Christ is as a lamb foreordained before the foundation of the world, but manifest in these last times for you, brought out where he could be seen. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. 
the lamb, the lamb, the lamb, the bleeding lamb, the lamb of Calvary, the lamb that was slain but liveth again and intercedes for me. Why did, why did God tell Israel to do that? Let me put it in modern language here. It's like God said to Israel, I want you, as he did all through the Old Testament, I want you to do typically with your lamb what I am going to do actually with my lamb. I want you to take your lamb that must be a male, not a female, because by one man sin entered the world. I would have said by one woman, but I didn't write the Bible. All you women said, praise God. And I want you to take your lamb and set it aside for four days and then kill it in the evening. Because that's what I'm going to do with my lamb. So when Adam sinned, God took his lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, and set him aside. And four days later, a day unto the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Four thousand years later, four days later, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. He'd been hidden in the bosom of the Father, but now he's brought out where he could be seen. And John says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Four days, the hidden and now revealed Lamb. So God got Israel to do typically what he himself was going to do actually. Can you say praise God? Now I want you, just in our last number of moments, I want you to go through five things that have happened in the last days, okay? Because when we get into the mountain of the Lord's house, what God did here, so we'll be picking up this uh, Sunday by Sunday over the next number of Sundays, we'll appreciate what we're talking about, the Jews and the Gentiles coming into the house of the Lord, okay? So it should come to pass in the last days, I want to give you, in our last uh, closing moments here, Five things that are to happen in the last days. Okay, let's turn over. Number one, five things that are happen in the last days. Number one, let's turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter one. Five last day prophecies, they all concern us. All right, Hebrews chapter 1, the first one. And I'd like to read verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 1, verse 1 and 2. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past. Okay, let's pick up the element here, see. God, who at sundry times, previous times, Old Testament times, and in divers manners spake in time past. All time before the cross is time past. All time before the cross is time past. God who at sundry times in a diver's manner spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. And we're looking at some of the prophets. Isaiah, what does he say about the tabernacle of David? Amos, what does he say about the tabernacle of David? Why did James go back to the Old Testament prophets and the Amos and say, tabernacle of David, the Jews and Gentiles coming into that. All right, so God who at sundry times in the diver's manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these, what? Last days, latter days, whatever translation, okay. Last days spoken unto us by his Son. So number one, in the last days, God has spoken to us, literally the Amplified brings out, 
in the person of his son, God speaking in Christ. Do you believe that today? Okay, so number one, in the last days, God is speaking to us by his son, not the prophets. Now he used the prophets and, and remember that all through the Old Testament, when the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, the word of the Lord came to Amos, the word of the Lord came to the prophets, the word of the Lord did not come to Jesus. He was the word. He was the word made flesh. So number one, God has spoken to us in the person of his son. Number two, the next last day scripture and tell us what's happening in the last days. Acts chapter 2 and we'll pick up in verse uh, 14 and paraphrase this a little bit here. And I'll put them in the order that uh, I believe we see happening in our time. Acts chapter 2 and verse 14, this is the day of Pentecost. And I want you to notice what Peter does. Acts 2 verse 14, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken unto my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass when? In the last days. In the latter days, the last days. Now, from Adam to Jesus, the four days of the Lamb, and there are many illustrations we could give to confirm this, but four days of the Lamb, from Adam to Jesus, four days. They were the former days, the time past, the former times. But once Jesus came, Jesus ushered in the last days. In the last days, God spoke to us in his Son. Now what else happens in the last days? Number two, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, what? I will pour out my Spirit upon, say the word, all. All, not just Jewish flesh. Jewish flesh, Gentile flesh, all flesh. Russian flesh, Chinese flesh, Malaysian flesh, Australian flesh, American flesh, Hong Kongese flesh, all flesh. Aren't you glad for that? See? God's above our denominations. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And what's the evidences of that? Sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men shall see visions. Old men dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days, the last days, of my spirit and I'll prophesy and I'll show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before, before that great and notable day of the Lord shall come and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall, what? We looked at it last Sunday, be saved. Hallelujah. So, number two, what else happens in the last days? God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. All right, number three, quickly. Let's see something else that happens in the last days. And this is 2 Timothy chapter 3. Listen to it. These are all last day scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And if you're taking down the references, put down verses 1 through to 5. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through to 5. This know also that it when? In the 
last days, latter times, latter days, all synonymous. In the last days, what's going to come? Perilous times shall come and he gives us 21 signs. And if we don't see these things in our society today, then what am I? For men will be lovers of their own self, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. How many know that the politicians love the church? Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Interesting, it starts off with lovers of their own selves, ends up with lovers of pleasure. Having an external form of godliness, but denying the reality thereof from such turn away. And uh, someone gave me this article on the churches that don't believe in hell. How far is out the love of Jesus is in? Well, how many believe that hellfire is still in and the love of Jesus too to save you from hellfire? Amen. I'm amazed at what the so-called church, that's not the true church. So, last days, uh, last days is, oh, lost the scripture, perilous times. So, number four, no, number three. Perilous times shall come. Perilous times shall come. Number four, quickly, our time's almost through. Let's turn over Second Peter chapter three. For another last day scripture, 2 Peter chapter 3, this is number 4. 2 Peter, and for those of you taking down the references, you can put down verses 1 through to 10. 2 Peter 3, 1 through to 10, I'll just read a couple of verses from the passage. Alright, in verse uh, 2 and 3, Peter says that ye may be mindful of the words which was spoken before by the holy prophets, the Old Testament prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles, New Testament apostles. So you'll notice Old Testament prophets, New Testament apostles. Be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first that there shall come when? In the last days, the latter times, the latter days, the last days, what? Scoffers. Walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? And mocking about the second coming. You Christians are talking about the second coming. Of course, you don't have to follow what uh, somebody gave me a little clipping that they said the rapture was going to take place uh, last week or somewhere. Well, if it's taken place, we've missed it. And you're stuck here with us. I don't believe that. Eh? that uh, brings reproach on the doctrine of the second coming but in the last days there will be scoffers who will mock the second coming and you'll notice that's all in the chapter about verse 8 don't be ignorant of God's plan one day is with the Lord is a thousand years a thousand years is one day and then the last thing I want to give you number 5 and we finish here go back to Isaiah chapter 2 Isaiah chapter 2 which we've just been reading All right, so in Isaiah chapter 2, in verse 2 and 3 again, let's read it. And it shall come to pass when? In the last days, what's going to happen? That the mountain of the Lord's house will be established in the top of the mountains 
and exalted above the hills. And how many nations will flow to it? All nations will flow to it. So in the book of Acts we see God has spoken by his Son. The Holy Spirit's been outpoured. The Lord's building his house. And Jew and Gentile, Jewish nation, Gentile nations are flowing into the house of the Lord into the revelation of the tabernacle of David. Okay, as I bring our message to a close and we'll have to pick this up next week, let's say together the five things that have happened in the last days. Number one, in the last days, God has spoken to us in his Son. Let's all say it together. God has spoken to us in his Son. Number two, in the last days, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. Let's say it together. Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. Number three, in the last days, perilous times shall come. Number four, in the last days, scoffers will mock the second coming of Christ. And number five, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established in the top of the mountains and exalted above the hills. I want to leave the question with you. What mountains is he talking about? What hills? What's he talking about? Come back next week for this exciting episode. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.